Welcome back to Bird's Eye View. When it comes to the Orioles, this weekly podcast is your official source for a lack of insight and for baseless opinions. Today is February 16th, 2023, and this is episode 355. My name is Jake English. And I'm Scott Magnus. And on this week's show, we'll get into the best shape of our lives. We're also going to stretch out, limber out, put on some short shorts, and, uh, you know, potentially get onto the grass and yell at some clouds. I like that. And we'll do all that right after we lubricate for the show. That's right. It's time for the drink of the week. Scott Magnus, what is your drink of this week? Uh, not to give away spoilers, but I am nursing a little bit of a throat injury on my end. So uh, I, I went to the medicinal spirits and uh, and drinking some juniper berries uh, to uh, alleviate some of those, those woes. Uh, how about yourself, Jake? You know, you are a hero, and we do appreciate that about you. Um, I, of course, am, am going with a an absolute uh, classic. I am drinking a Loose Cannon IPA directly out of the can, but I want to talk for a quick second about a recent um, experience I had, and this was, of course, my quick stop over at Cult Classic Brewing Company, which is across the bridge over in Queenstown. Uh, highly recommended. Highly recommend. Really good, like, you know, uh, pub food. But they've got a, a, uh, a brewery in a building that used to be a grocery store, and the beer was excellent. I had the, uh, the El Dorado IPA. Fantastic. So if you're over that way, please make sure you stop in. If you find Cult Classic anywhere, make sure you get it. I really enjoyed myself. Did you have to take a number at the butcher counter to get the beer? I did, or? I did not. I did not. But the the stock the, the shelves were stocked uh, with all my favorite beers. Now, were there coupons? Like was it like double coupons on I Tuesdays? Should have asked, I should have asked for a coupon. I can't. I can't believe I forgot. I, I will also point out too. Was it a senior citizen discount? Because some of us are approaching a magical number in the weeks ahead. Perhaps. Perhaps. I will say that uh, one of the highlights of the stop was the restroom. Um, which was furnished completely with pictures of Nicolas Cage oh. in more and more ridiculous uh, photos. And my wife hates Nicolas Cage, so it was really great um, to be able to uh, to experience that. I thought you were going to say the restroom was always the highlight of an American University boy, but... Well, there is that. There is that. There is that. If you're interested to see what we're drinking on a daily, weekly, hourly basis, depending on how sick we are, Follow us on Untapped. I'm at Jake E4025. And I'm at MAGN8606. And with that, let's uh, go on into the medical wing. All right. So as I was alluding to, um, you know, starting off the medical wing, I am nursing a little bit of an injury myself. Um, I've got a little bit of a fever going on. Um, yeah, the the aspect of strep has swept through the Magnus family household. Um, we've had flu. We've had COVID. We're now in strep. Um, it is almost as if, you know, being uh, indoors for two plus years um, and then going back out without masks on. Um, has caused uh, issues galore, is the best way to describe it. So uh, we are putting ourselves to the paces, um, and it has uh, severely impacted our podcasting schedule. I know. We, we've been snake-bitten this winter. I mean, we were supposed to record yesterday. Uh, you very rightly couldn't post up. Last month, we didn't meet at our uh, scheduled time because my kids had COVID. If it hasn't been one thing, it's been another. And so, Scott, I'm going to tell you this. It's time for you to get yourself together. It's spring training, all right? The trainer is looking at you and saying, nah, he can post up. Yeah, I, I, mean, I just feel like we're getting it started. It's like 2018 all over again. We've got oh, the Calvary geez. coming in. Um, we've got a bunch of, you know, new talent, um, and uh, we're ready to go. Like, what? what's the worst that could happen? Why would you say that? All right, speaking of things that make me sad, let's go through the rest of the medical wing. Of course, John Means still recovering from Tommy John surgery. Uh, Michael Elias said that July would be on the early side of things for a possible return for him. 
honestly, it's it's the type of deal where I think we need to be prepared to be without him so that when we get him back, it's a it's a boon. It's a shot in the arm rather than something we're depending on. Oh, of course. I mean, I think I've said this before. I mean, I'm I'm looking at the basis of John Means is going you know, to show up sometime post All-Star break. I've said that since he went down for his injury. Um, it'll be very interesting going into a late July standpoint to see how, we'll call it competitive, the Orioles are. Um, and, you know, would the Orioles, are the Orioles going to get John Means back? And are they willing to make another move potentially at the trade deadline in order to pull in another starting pitching? Um, and so, without being too dark, I mean, what John Means are they going to get back? Like, sure. That is an sure. outstanding question and one that we, we certainly don't know. Absolutely. Uh, you know, another kind of aspect that happened today um, was, you know, Mike Elias greeted the media, um, you know, didn't open the books. Um, that's for, for John Angelos um, and, and decided to go through, you know, some injuries that had occurred on the offseason that perhaps the beat writers weren't aware of. And one of those that we kind of started with and, it, you know, was kind of out there already in terms of missing the World Baseball Classic was Nick Vespi, um, who had a hernia surgery. He's expected to be ready for opening day, but he will miss the World Baseball Classic. So that's got to be disappointing for him. But sir, surely the Orioles are just you know, excited to potentially have him ready for opening day. Sure. Somebody who uh, won't be with the club on opening day is Dylan Tate. Now, this is the one for me that I, I, I don't feel so great about. He suffered a, a flexor forearm strain in November and will start the season on the I.L., the two scary things about that are anytime you hear the word flexor strain, yep. because the next two words in, in your, you know, that come to mind are Tommy John. Tommy John. But the, the scary thing for this is that this happened in November. Yeah. And here we are three months later, still worried about it. I don't know. I mean, Scott, I know you're not a doctor. I know that you didn't stay at a Holiday Inn Express last night, but how concerned are you when you hear something like that really out of the blue? I think you've got to be immensely concerned, is the best way to put it. I mean, you look at that and you don't want to think about Tommy John surgery, but in reality, you've got to have in the back of your mind that you may lose your second best relief pitcher on your team um, right behind Felix Batista. Um, so that's a huge loss, in my opinion. Um, and we'll see, you know, how he comes back. But I mean, it it could be. I mean, it could be a while um, and it could be season ending if he has to go and do the surgery. Um, so very interesting to see and keep it, keep aware of that and see how it goes from the rehabbing standpoint. Yeah, couldn't couldn't agree more. But, you know, at least Felix Bautista is OK, right? Absolutely. I mean, it's not like his knee injury that happened at the end of last season is still lingering. What? Oh, oh wait, perhaps uh, it is. I mean, is 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 he questionable for opening day as well? He is questionable for opening day, according to Mike Elias. I mean, we'll have to see what happens. Um, they're going to ease him back into games. For some reason, in the back of my head, I'm less concerned about this one. And I don't know why. Maybe it's just me being, you know, drinking the orange Kool-Aid. But I feel like for Felix Batista, they're going to get him back up to speed pretty quickly, um, is the best way to put it. So maybe he misses a week at most. Um, maybe they use it for a little bit of roster flexibility. But I, I'm, I'm not super concerned about Felix Batista at this moment. Well, that's that's the only bad news as far as the pitching staff is concerned, right? Absolutely, it's not like you know one of your top prospects potentially has um you know some 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 back issues and on anything like that. This is DL Hall you're talking about, right? It it, it is. Um, yeah, it was reported as of today that DL Hall uh, is has right lower lumbar discomfort. Uh, it started about three weeks ago, um, so he'll be behind some of the other pitchers in camp, which again. For a pitcher that you're hoping to kind of build innings and build stamina to eventually get him into the rotation, not a great way to start um, your conditioning program. All right. Dylan Tate, Felix Bautista, D.L. Hall. I want you to put an asterisk here in this conversation because we're going to come back to it. I've done a lot of whining this offseason. This wouldn't be bird's eye view without a little bit more whining from me. I want to bring this up uh, in, in a future portion of the show. Uh, lastly, we're going to talk about Ramon Urias, who uh, had a knee injury back in September, and that is keeping him off the uh, World Baseball Classic team for Team Mexico. The Orioles say, hey, nothing to see here. Um, you know, Urias says it was more of a, an insurance thing as far as the Mexican team was concerned. I certainly hope that's the case uh, because I, I, I want to see a, a healthy Ramon Urias 
defending his gold glove season. Where? Yes. Yes. Okay. Uh, and with that, we're going to leave the medical wing. We're going to close the doors behind us and hopefully keep all of that illness there within. We're going to go off and we're going to look at Orioles baseball at 280 characters at Beg a time. Pardon? Don't you mean 50,000 characters yeah, at a time? Endless, endless, endless characters? characters. Characters for days. This week on the Twitters. Scotty, I had my days mixed up, and I was not the only one. I want to start with a tweet from the Baltimore Orioles. They say, nothing like a cup of coffee to start the morning. And then there is a um, a text image of a cup of joe with the text, pitchers and catchers report today. This, of course, was at 7 a.m. on February 15th. But a lot of publications this year, Scott, had the date for the Baltimore Orioles pitchers and catchers reporting date being today. February 16th. So I was waiting for it for Thursday. I kept telling people, Thursday's the day, Thursday's the day. And then I woke up on Wednesday and felt dumber than usual. How dumb did you feel? Um, so dumb. Than usual? More dumb. All the dumb. All right, Scotty, the next tweet is one that's near and dear to my heart. And this is a tweet that says, let's go Orioles from Tim Dijon. That's at Dijon underscore five. But I have to be honest with you, I I had an emotional response to this tweet. And I had an emotional response because I was very, very concerned that this tweet represented a return to the organization of Mike Dijon, which is a pitcher from the Dark Ages who I, at the time, may have referred to the cancer of baseball. It is impossible for me to underscore how much I disliked Mike Dijon and how terrified I was that he had been invited back, not just to professional baseball, but to the Orioles. So I just want to apologize publicly to Mr. Tim Dijon. I'm sorry. You know, it, it all makes sense now. Um, you know, I've been going to, you, to, to baseball games now for probably close to 14 years now, and every single time the hot dog race would come up, you would yell at me like, why are you rooting for mustard? And now I know it's because you can't stand Dijon. That was a long walk, but I'll allow it. <laughs> Welcome to Bird's Eye View. Uh, the next tweet comes from Orioles Statistics. You could follow them at Statist one I feel like there – I can't imagine there's that many people out there that have like Orioles Statistics as their, their the Twitter name. But uh, I guess there's somebody else out there. Uh, post as follows. I'm just ready for Orioles baseball every single day for six months. All right, I like this, but I've got some issues with it. You? I'm shocked. I'm just ready for Orioles baseball every single day for the next seven months. I want October, baby. Ooh, I like it. I was not prepared to like it as much as I did, but I did. Our last tweet comes to us from Orioles Kangaroo, who tweet at Forever Orioles. He tweets as follows, I'm tempted to buy a Chris Davis spring training jersey. Do I buy it? And in, in subsequent uh, conversation, apparently the, uh, the, the jersey gets as low as $25. Scott, two questions. Yes. First, what is the most embarrassing uh, piece of Orioles uh, garb or memorabilia that you have? Okay. Or had? Okay. And then the second question is, what's what's the bar you what's the line you won't cross to mm. to pick up more, right? So I I guess it's well let's take the first one. What's the most embarrassing thing that you've got you know or have had in your closet? Uh, the most embarrassing thing that I still have in my closet is I have a shirt. Uh, from when the Orioles won the wild card in 1996, and it is clearly one of like the you know ones that have been made fan made. I'm assuming it's a fan made shirt or like a local shirt, and it's got like the Joker Joker Jester like face on it, but it says Orioles AL wild card winner basically on it. Um, so that is like classic 1990s, uh, but one that I have a hard time pulling out of the closet and wanting to wear. So that's the one that I still like kind of grimace at is the best way to put it. Um, but yeah, that's, that, that's definitely one. What was the other part of the question? What, what's the, what's the third rail for you? What, what won't, you know, if, if this guy's asking, should I get a Chris Davis spring yeah. jersey? 
what what wouldn't you buy? Oh, that that's easy for me, and I think it's probably the same for you. Um, if anybody came to me and said, "Hey, I need you to buy an O's cap," um, I'm going to refuse to do so. Is the best way to describe it. So that's going to be a bridge too far for me. That is a really good answer. I think you're playing <laughs> to the judge, but I love that answer, and I will accept that fully. Uh, all right, so that is the uh, this week on the Twitters again. For now, still upright and still uh, moving forward at 280 characters at a time. We're going to take a quick break and come back, and when we do, we'll go around the bases in Orioles baseball. All right, Scotty, it's that time again. It's time to go around the bases. But, hey, it's the beginning of spring training. Let's go around gingerly. Let's not get hurt right out of the gate. I want to start at first base with Masson. Now, Masson came up a few weeks ago on social media, and I couldn't figure out why, and it's just gotten more ridiculous since then. Uh, most recently, just the other day, there was a note that came out that Masson would be providing coverage of just four Oreo games during spring training. And uh, Joe Paparato, uh, formerly of the OBP Apparel podcast, um, pointed out very helpfully, I thought, that Nesson, the uh, New England sports network, is showing 27 of the 34 Red Sox spring training games. Um, and so I ask you, how much does this suck? Well, Jake, I mean, I, I think you've got to put into perspective. If we look at the performance from last year, um, the, the 2022 Orioles uh, did it remarkably well, um, and they only covered three Orioles spring training game, games. So a slight improvement from three to four clearly indicates that we should be 33% better than we were last year on this basis. So, I mean, I think Masson is knocking it out of the park in terms of um, how well they're doing. Do you consider a single additional game to be the Masson equivalent of liftoff? Uh, yes, absolutely. No question about it. Just watch out for those F-22s. I mean, are we really that surprised? I mean, this should have surprised no one that, um, Masson was going to cover more games or anything like that. I mean, this was a, a, a company that wouldn't even fly some of their broadcasters to be in live games, um, at certain portions of last year. Um, so this doesn't surprise me whatsoever that they're going to say, Hey, we're not going to fly a, a crew down to Florida to partake in calling the games. Um, so I, I guess I'm not that bothered by it. And again, I guess I'm not that surprised by it. Um, it's just kind of happenstance for the course. Um, I will say that I'm far more fired up about it now uh, because of my work from home status, of course. Uh, you know, being permanent. I, I will say that, Spring, spring training games not being available on television during the afternoons is far more um, significant in my life now. But, Scotty, I've been thinking a lot about Masson in general, and I have a bit of a modest proposal. I think I know how to solve this. Okay. This, I, this I, is I, a – the, the whole Masson thing is a problem that baseball made, right? Okay. Major League Baseball made this mess. And I get the fact that Nationals fans hate Peter Angelos. I get the fact that they hate the fact that Peter Angelos made this deal with Major League Baseball. But listen, Major League Baseball desperately wanted to put a team in Washington, D.C., and they made a deal, you know, with the devil. They made a deal that resulted in the Nationals broadcasting rights being largely in the hands of another club. Mm -hmm. And that is, as it's turned out, to be an untenable situation. But they did that to compensate the Orioles for taking the jewel of what was at that time their territory. And when I say the jewel, I mean that's where a lot of the money is, right? If you look at the Washington, D.C. suburbs, there's a lot more money there than there is in some of the Baltimore suburbs. So baseball made this problem. I think baseball can fix this problem. Baseball should go to the Orioles and say... We'd like to absolve the Masson deal, and in return, 
we're going to give you a stake in Major League Baseball Advanced Media that is equal to or larger if they need a kicker, the rights package that you're getting from the Nationals. So it's an interesting standpoint because obviously we've got, you know, a multitude of regional sports networks failing now. I mean, we've got the Bailey Sports Network that is owned Mm -hmm. by Sinclair, which I know, Jake, you are deeply disappointed to see Sinclair failing at something. Um, Deeply disappointed. Um, But um, it's interesting because, you know, MLB has come out and said if Sinclair basically fails and dissolves the regional sports networks and it's unable to basically broadcast, uh, Major League Baseball will step in and will broadcast through MLB TV. However, Manfred did say the standpoint of asking this question of, well, why don't we just do that for a majority of regional sports networks and or eliminate blackouts? Uh, And the indication was like, no, we're not going to do that because we make so much more money through the cable deal, which I think is accurate as well. So for now, yeah, for, for now, right. So I I think the standpoint is, and I think it it comes back to, I don't think MLB, in essence, knows how much money they're going to make in streaming. And I wonder to myself of if a deal like that was made, where they're like, hey, we'll just broadcast everything through MLB.tv, and we'll give you a larger cut as part of the package, whether MLB would come to regret that just like they did in the Masson deal. Oh, no, 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 no. I'm sorry. Maybe I'm not being clear. Gee, that doesn't sound like me at all, does it? No, I say... Give the the Orioles their rights. Give mm-hmm. the Nationals their rights. Yep. Let them both operate a regional sports network of their own if they uh, so choose. Yeah. Or then to license it to another network. But the 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 dollar figure mm-hmm. that's represented by the value of the Nationals' rights that the Orioles hold. Yep. Should be made up. Should be made whole by a share in Major League Baseball Advanced Media. Yeah, I still don't think they know how much. Like I know. We know how much MLB Advanced Media is, you know, calculated to be right now is the best way to describe it. Um, and obviously, a ton of major league baseball teams are making a ton of money off of it every single year. I still think MLB is looking at that as the massive cash cow in the future, and I just don't see anybody or anyone potentially getting any shares, additional shares, or anything else on that basis at this given point. Like, I think Fred Manfred is going to as he's done so well ever since being named commissioner, he's going to drag his feet as long as possible on these things until the game has to go that general direction. But it's Masson's going to be a disaster, and Masson's going to continue to be a disaster until either the Nationals need to be sold, the Orioles need to be sold, or what I think is going to happen, both teams are sold at the same time. That would be really interesting. It, it I mean, honestly, I mean, we just had, you know, Lerner pass away this week. Um and, you know, if, you know, Peter does pass away this season, it would not surprise me whatsoever for the Nationals and the Orioles to go up on the block to be sold. Yeah, yeah. Well, I did call it a modest proposal because I you know, I think there's a certain amount of satire there. I, I simply think it's a problem that baseball made, and it's a problem baseball really could fix. They just have no motivation to do so. I appreciate a good modest proposal without involving Irish babies, so I appreciate that. <laughs> All right, let's uh, let's go over to second base, Scotty. I want to talk about off-season feels. Yeah, the off-season it's over. It's over. It is over. We didn't talk about it at all. Unlike common bird's eye view standpoint, we kind of just you know let it kind of dwell on and dwell on and dwell on and kept asking <laughs> well, the question while we, while we uh, as typhoid Mary over here yeah. uh, didn't meet. And we're like, hey, let's give it another week. Maybe something will happen. And um, yeah, you know, nothing really happened is the best way to describe it. Um, you know, there were a few decent there. I mean, there were free moves. Maybe we'll cover those aspects first, Jake. Uh, what were some good moves that you kind of saw the Orioles make this this offseason? Well, I mean, there's not a lot to pick from. Uh, I think it was a good thing that the Orioles uh, took care of their rotation in the way that they did by getting Kyle Gibson and by picking up Cole Irvin. Irvin was the second piece that he certainly doesn't wow me by any stretch of the imagination. You know, it's not an exciting, sexy pickup. But you look at it and you say, in a rotation with so many question marks, you need some guys where you know what you're going to get, right? And I think that once they made the Kyle Gibson move, it was pretty clear that they were not going to go after frontline starters. And if that's your strategy, right, wrong, or indifferent, if that's your strategy, 
picking up a guy like Irvin was certainly better yep. than, you know, rolling the dice with everybody else that was left. So I think that was probably for the strategy they selected. Yep. Pretty good. Yeah. So, I mean, I agree with you. I mean, I'm not wowed by the Kyle Gibson and Cole Irvin pickups, but I don't think they're bad moves. This is what I categorize when I put this into kind of an allegorical standpoint as relates to Kyle Gibson, Cole Irvin. Um, when our wives were younger and single, they said to themselves, hey, I have to settle on something that is probably not going to be the best thing, but it's probably pretty reliable and will probably put out some serviceable innings for me. So they said, I think I'll go ahead and marry Jake. I think I'm going to go ahead and marry Scott. And, and to this point, you know, they haven't been overly pleased but they also haven't been overly disappointed as part of this process. Scotty, I don't know that I've ever thrown a uh, meaningful inning in my life. <laughs> well, we've seen you play softball before, and that's definitely true. Is the best way to put it. So, um... <laughs> uh, yeah, I, I I think that if if you're going to insist that this is the right way to go about it, uh, this was this was a solid move. I think picking up those two, the rotation is stronger than it was last year. Um, you know, we can look at the Kyle Gibson versus Jordan Lyles comparison. And I think the last time you and I talked about this, you, you, may, you said, you know, it may be that, that Gibson's a bit of an upgrade in, in certain regard. And I think that Irvin um, provides innings that doesn't require us to lean so much on pitchers we know so little about. And, and by that, I mean, you know, can Bradish look like he did, right. you know, at times? Can Kramer look like he did at times? Can Grayson Rodriguez look like the guy we hope he'll be? You know, all those maybe, 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 maybes. The margin of error is a little bit smaller when you've got a guy like Irvin who has has chewed up so many innings. No, I agree with that. And, I mean, the nice thing about Irvin, too, is, you know, the Orioles getting him – and having him for you know the next three plus years is another big deal as well. So he's not free agent um, until 2027. So again, I'm not expecting big things from either Urban or Gibson. I'm looking for someone that is going to post you know probably a 4.3 to 4.5 ERA. Um, and again, that's not a wow. Um, and they are clearly back end starters, is the best way to describe it. Um, so I, I think that's where it comes to the bad aspect, which is, you know, the Orioles made some moves on that and that on that pitching front, but it just kind of, you know, solidified and still made it okay. I mean, the Orioles starting pitching is still going to be at the bottom of the league um, in terms of we'll call it talent. And yes, Grayson Rodriguez could take a major step forward and become um, an ace-like starting pitcher. Um, Dean Kramer could continue to kind of grow. Kyle Bradish could continue to grow. But there's so many ifs there that, you know, it's it's kind of disappointing, especially with, you know, obviously the free agent class that was out there. And, yes, there was some you know ridiculous numbers thrown out uh, as relates to free agent pitching. But at the same time, you look at the Orioles payroll and you say to yourself, if not now, when? Yeah. Yeah. And and again, like I don't want to seem like I'm poo pooing any of these young players. I really love what I saw out of Dean Kramer last year. Holy smokes. He was impressive. I really liked what I saw from Kyle Bradish. Yeah. I can't wait to see more of them. I've been waiting for, for Grayson Rodriguez and D.L. Hall for years. But what I'll say is the fact that they look like they could be really good doesn't mean anything. Yeah. And even though we draft better than we used to, yep. and even though we develop way better than we used to, Brian Mattis was supposed to be awesome. Right. Jake Arrieta was supposed to be awesome for us. You know, I mean, the list goes on and on and on and on and on. The fact that these guys look good, the fact that they should be good, is no guarantee that they will. And if your season is built that all of those guys have to hit, you're asking for trouble. Yeah. So outside of, you know, starting pitchers, we also re-signed, well, we didn't re-sign, but he's back with Baltimore, Michael Gibbons. Um, thoughts on the Gibbons signing? Um, obviously a lot a better lot... now with Dylan yeah. Yeah, I feel a lot better about it in the last two days, sure. But, I mean, in all honesty, even signing him, I was just like, that's not a bad move. Um, it maybe was a little bit more expensive than I thought Gibbons would get, but overall not a bad one on that basis. Um, but kind of going off pitchers for a second, um, the Orioles also made a few additional signings for you know position players, going out and signing Adam Frazier, potentially to be a second baseman, and then signing James McCann 
to be a backup catcher. Thoughts on both of those moves really quickly. Uh, I think McCann is fine. I mean, he's uninteresting, but but uh, I, I I want that from the backup catcher. Right. I think he also has the capability of maybe filling in as a backup at first. Agree. Uh, from time to time, which is, which is, again, good. And my backup first baseman is not somebody I want to think about. I think that McCann offers that uh, capability. Um, I'm in no way interested or excited about Adam Frazier. I don't, I don't, I still don't understand the Adam Frazier move. Like you've yeah. got all this infield depth. Yeah. Like why are you bringing Adam Frazier into the picture? Um, I, I just don't get it is the best way to put it. And people are like, well, you know, he has a nice plate discipline. He gets on base, but I'm like, yeah, but like in order for the Orioles to be a playoff team, they're going to need to see a breakthrough from another player. Um, and Adam Frazier just seems like it's going to be a, at best, a zero to one more player. And I just don't see the wow factor. I'd rather see, you know, Urias get additional time. I'd rather see, you know, Jordan Westberg get a chance up here, Connor Norby and everything like that. So the Adam Frazier move seems very odd to me based off of how many infielders are sitting in the queue in Norfolk. I I look at it this way. I think that stable, major league ready, second base play could be could be got cheaply and easily if the likes of Ramon Urias and Gunnar Henderson and all the rest, and by all the rest, I mean all those guys you just mentioned, Taryn Vavra, the, all of the depth that we have, if, if that were to falter, I feel like you could make a very simple, inexpensive move to get a dependable but not exceptional second baseman if that's your only problem. I right? agree. I feel like Adam Frazier is not, was not a necessary move. And when you look at the, you, you brought up the payroll, so I'm going to open that door. If you look at our payroll, the $8 million that we're paying Adam Frazier is a a huge part of that. Yeah. And if you're going to spend nothing, spending $8 million on Adam Frazier, when you have all of that, it just makes no sense. Makes no sense. So I'm not excited about it all. Look, I don't have a problem with the guy, but I would much rather see, I would much rather see our guys than Adam Frazier. Yeah. I am not um, super thrilled on the basis of Adam Frazier. So it is what it is. Um, we'll move on from it and see what happens. But yeah, I was very surprised by that move. But I mean, I think the, the theme of the offseason, everyone continue to talk about it. Um, and, and, you know, I, I, I think it just comes back to liftoff. And, you know, the comment that, you know, Mike Elias made um, at the end of, we'll call it 2022, um, and basically saying, you know, it's time for liftoff. I think everyone came into this offseason expecting something more. And I don't think anyone expected to go out inside all the big free agents, but I think we we looked at it and said, okay, we've been at you know thirty million dollars for the payroll for several years now. Um, let's at least get to a hundred to hundred twenty million, like somewhere in that ballpark. And the Orioles not getting to that, not making a really splashy move is the best way to describe it. Not one splashy move, I think, comes back to the standpoint of you know I think a lot of Orioles fans looked at it, including myself, and it felt like we were teased. And then, in essence, it was pulled back from us, is the best way to put it. So um, it, 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 it's really a question of, like like I mentioned before, if not now, then when is going to be the question in terms of a, a, a spending aspect. And, and you asked earlier for the good, bad, and the ugly. I mean, as far as I'm concerned, the ugly of this, out, of this offseason is that the Orioles didn't really add anything. They made it clear that their plan was to hope that things will get better. Yeah, exactly. Their, their hope is that the players that are gifted and young will pan out. And look, I get it. You you spent five years or whatever it was drafting and building, and these are the guys, right? These are the guys you brought. This, this is the, da- the the date you brought to the, to the dance. We've done this before, though. It's the standpoint of, like, I think back to 2015, and it was the same thing. It's just like, well, we're happy with what we have. In 2013, eh, we're happy with what we have. We're not going to make any major upgrades. Um and it just seems to me like it's so obvious. Like if you didn't want to go get a position player, I can kind of understand it because you've got position players coming out in the future, you know, year or two. 
But from the pitching standpoint, once you get past Grayson Rodriguez and once you get past DL Hall, I'm not saying that there are not candidates out there that can't come into the rotation. There definitely are. But they're not in the top 100 um, in most instances. And I just, I, I, eventually you're going to have to spend on pitching and you're going to have to overspend for pitching, especially in the AL East, to convince someone to play against AL East teams and then also go into Camden Yards, go into Yankee Stadium, go into Fenway Park. Um, and I just, I don't know what else to say of like, you're going to eventually have to do it. You're going to have to overpay. And here, here I'll bring back the asterisk from the medical wing. When you build your plan around hope that things will be just a little bit better, right? Cause the Orioles were good last year, right? Mm-hmm. They were just outside of the playoff race. The Orioles just want to be a little bit better. Yeah. All of those plans break down. If you are built right to the edge and you can't absorb one or two injuries to the back end of your bullpen, right? Well, the back end of your bullpen not being there is going to be a problem if you don't have starting pitching. And there's, there's, you didn't spend any money to get a real thing. There's that, and there's also the standpoint of, again, if you look back to last year, what is one thing that you think about from last year? You know, Obviously, it's Adley, but the other thing that I always think about for the 2022 season is the Orioles did an amazing job with walk-offs and late-inning heroics. And the question is, you know, how sustainable is that from that late inning heroic standpoint? You know, I, I definitely think run differential plays a role. And, you know, the Orioles came out to be kind of that 500 team. But the Orioles, I feel like to a certain regard, did get a little lucky in a few scenarios in terms of, you know, a Rognit or Door walk off on occasion and stuff like that. So I'm not saying that someone else can't step up in that place of Rognit or Door. I don't think Rognit or Door was a good player. Um, but what I'm saying is just like you're saying, to expect everything to go right once again um, on that basis, it does unnerve me. And just having a little bit of insurance by going out and getting, you know, a number two starting pitcher would have given me a lot greater faith coming into this season. Here, here. All right. So let's, let's uh, grade it out. What would you give the off season grade for the Baltimore Orioles? I'll, I'll let you off the hook. I'll go first. Sure. I'm a, I'm going to go with a D. Okay. And the reason I'm going with a D is because it's technically a passing grade, but when you bring it home, your parents are pissed. Yeah. Yeah, I'm going to go with a C minus, um, specifically of like, you know, I consider C to kind of be average personally on my end. And I just consider it to be just slightly below average. I mean, to be fair, we should have expected this is the best way to put it. Like this is a classic Orioles offseason. But at the same time, you know, the hype that surrounded it, um, I really feel like we are almost reliving the Matt Wager Square again, where the hype basically was greater than what we actually saw on the field. Um, so I'm going to give it a C minus, but I can easily understand the D grade that you gave Jake. All right. I want to talk about one more thing here in the uh, off season feels, uh, Pakoda came out and projected that the Orioles will go 74 and 88 with a 3% chance of making the playoffs. And I got to tell you, forget last year, all right, erase last year. If we had started last year and you had told me that the Orioles were going to go 74 and 88, I would have been over the moon. I would have been through the roof excited. But now I think that obviously everybody's expectations are higher. And that's leading to a lot of people being really, uh, we'll call it grumpy about the Pagoda projections. And so I ask you, what do you think about that number, 74 and 88? You know, I actually don't think it's an unreasonable number. And I know people are going to get really on me for that. Um, you know, I, I think it might be a little bit under, but even if you take a look at Vegas odds and stuff like that, Vegas odds are typically, I think in the ballpark, like 76 and a half right now for the Orioles. So, you know, I, I think, you know, I, when I look at this team, I don't see a 74 win team, but, you know, I think Pakoda normally has a, an error range of plus or minus six, six games. I, I'm not saying that it's that far off. It might be, you know, you know, eight to 10 games off. Um, and again, we know this as well from, we'll call it the 2012 Buckle Up Birds era, um, where Pakoda constantly undervalued, um, you know, the Baltimore Orioles. And, and Buck Walter had many things to say about Pakoda. Um, and I, I think that there's two things that maybe Pakoda does underwhelm a little bit on the Orioles standpoint. Number one, um, I don't think it's, you know, accounting for some of the defense aspect that we're seeing. Um, and then the other standpoint is, too, I do think it undervalues a lot of bullpen 
standpoint. So if we look back at the 2022 season, the Orioles bullpen was one of the best bullpens in, in all of Major League Baseball. And it's certain, Pocota is certainly not projecting the Orioles to be one of the best bullpens in, in baseball again. Um, so, I mean, I, I think it's a little low, but I don't think it's a ridiculous number. Is the most we described. If it was in the 60s, I think I'd be fuming. But, you know, mid-70s, I, I don't think that's a terrible number for, for, for a modeling system to give out. Yeah. And I also think that the Orioles are a team that could be excellent. They could be average or they could be below average. Right, they have yeah. the capability of really having a wide range. So it's funny you should mention that there was a Fangraphs article that came out today talking about this, and Matt Kremnitz are obviously retweeted, and we retweeted as well. Um, but they were talking about it, and similarly, you know, Fangraphs projections had them in a similar area of you know being in the mid 70s. But you know, in that article, they were basically saying the Orioles have the largest potential range of wins, and even looking at the zips. You know, projections. Error bands. Yeah. I love that phrase. Bands. Call it the error bands. Yeah. I mean, I, I work with error bands every single day in terms of data reporting, and I'm sure you kind of do as well. But um, it's it's just one of those situations where it's absolutely right. Um, you know, defense, bullpen, but also you got a ton of young talents coming up. We have no clue, you know, how good Grayson Rodriguez is. And we don't also know how good Gunnar Henderson is, even though he's projected to be an amazing talent and being close to like a forward player. We don't know how good he potentially could be. So there's a lot of what ifs here um, coming into the season with a really young talent pool and a talent pool they could still pull from um, into the season. And as we mentioned at the very beginning of the show, um, you know, they could still go out and trade for somebody at the trade deadline if they're close enough. They've got the capital in order to do it. They didn't pull the move in the offseason, but get halfway through the season, there may be a team that just says, you know what, we've got a year and a half left to this player. Um, you know, I'm looking at Corbin Burns. Um, maybe it's it's not in the cards anymore for that aspect, and maybe the Brewers are looking to unload Burns uh, for some capital is the best way to put it. Um, I'm not sure if the Orioles would want to do that for just a year and a half, but at some point you got to kind of push your chips in. All right. Uh, I think we've spilled enough uh, of our energy here on the offseason season. Let's leave the offseason behind us. Let's go to spring training. And, Scott, I'm going to start at third base here with boys in shorts. I will um, – I'm going to level with you, Scott. I'm going to be honest. Yep. I very much considered uh, dusting off the uh, dusting off the, the Orioles weird owl there and, and making a boys in shorts version of girls on film. But it just, just didn't pan out. So you were going to go like, boys in shorts. Very much. Very much. Could get you in trouble, but it it could indeed. But this is Bert's idea. Yeah. If you didn't work a if you didn't work a spider tech comment into that boys and shorts uh, song, I would have been very disappointed. Oh man, now my brain is working. Yep. That's not appropriate. Yep. Uh, Scotty, what are you looking forward to seeing as camp moves forward? Yeah, so for me, I'm I'm looking forward to um, you know, in essence, seeing a lot of the prospects play. Honestly, like that's what's interesting to me, and I'm interesting to Adam see Adam Frazier. You mean? Absolutely, Adam Frazier. Uh, but no, I, I'm interested in you know some of the non-roster invites that are going to come out, see how they do. Um, you know, I, I'm interested just to see how people come out come up. Like, you know, seeing Connor Norby come up and kind of participate. Kobe Mayo will be a non-roster invite. I'd like to see how he does. Jordan Westberg will be up as a non-roster invite. Jackson Holiday. So I'm really interested in that at some point. You know, I, I ultimately come back to this basis, and it is a Buckshaw Walter comment, which is everyone is going to be so worried about, like, who's in the rotation, who's on the rotation, who's going to be the bullpen. Those things have a tendency to work them out based off of people getting injured. I'm not going to worry about that at this moment. All right. Fair enough. I am, uh, I am delighted to see how the rotation turns. Like, I know that... I'm going to say me. I, I was about to say you and I, but the fan, and I'll, I'll just throw myself in there. I feel like we can't tell very much from spring training performances, Not especially of starting pitchers. But I really want to see toward that last week of spring training what the rotation is going to look like. You know, we're going to get some insight by what we see. You're right. We will get some insight on you know how things are kind of rolling out and how people are being built up as supposed to describe it but again it comes back down to you know back in the day i would look at it and be like well how is someone doing with a cave rate versus a walk rate i've given up on that at this point i mean they're all trying different things they're trying different pitches that 
you know, back in the day from a more traditional spring trading standpoint for the Baltimore Orioles, it was a little bit more predictable. Now it's the standpoint of they are developing pitches and everything like that down there and, and trying new things out in spring training. So I, I think I see spring training just as kind of a glorified practice and I'm just looking to you know, see some fun is, is the best way to describe it down in Sarasota uh, over these next few weeks. Yeah. Uh, I'll be interested to see uh, if Taron Vavra uh, can turn himself into, you know, a player that brings more than one glove to the ballpark. He has talked about trying to play first base so that he can make the club. I hope they give him the opportunity to uh, to strap it on and try at first base in spring training. And I'm curious as to how it'll go. Well, Taron Vavra has to be the position player this year, correct? For pitching. Has to be. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, who yeah, don't who is don't it? get me started on that. We're going to talk about that. In a few I, minutes we'll get to that in a few bits. But I mean, he's got to be the, the selected individual. I mean, who else are you picking? Uh, I don't know. It depends on who makes the team. Yeah. But anyway. All right. Is there is there anything else of uh, of interest that that you're really dying? I mean, there there are, you know a million five things to look for in spring training articles out this time of year, but. <laughs> For me, it's it's really that, and I, I think the only other thing that I would check in on with real interest is how does Austin Hayes look, right? Yeah. Because I want this guy to be a meaningful part of the club, but I've been really worried about him with the way he's been the last couple seasons. I want him to come out like gangbusters at the end of spring training, and I want him to stay healthy and productive. Yeah, I think that's going to be an interesting story. I think the outfield is the most interesting story of any of the position standpoint because you know we, we keep saying, well, Cedric Mullins is in center field. Um, obviously, everyone's kind of chronicled his, his left-handed pitching struggles, but I think it'll be interesting to see, you know, how it works with Stowers, Santander, Mullins, Hayes, and just seeing how does Brandon Hyde navigate that and give everyone necessary rest, uh, but still maintaining the defensive prowess that we're looking for. Well, you mentioned Cedric Mullins' uh, struggles with left-handed pitching. This is crazy, and Scott, I don't know if this has ever been tried before, but do you think he would ever consider being a switch hitter? <laughs> That's a good one. That's a good one. All right. All right, let's let's go in into home plate. Home plate, I'm going to tell you this, Scott. Get ready to watch a different game in 2023. Oh, sorry. Did something major change? Baseball is going to be different in 2023, Scott. First of all, I'm I'm going to bury the lead. We'll we'll come back to the big one. In 2023, the shift will have been banned, right? And so Offense will look different than it did in prior years. But one of the things I'm more interested in, balks are going to be more strongly enforced this year. Yeah. They're not. Baseball has said that they're going to be enforcing balks more strongly. I'm curious to see how that'll play out. I, I don't know how much that'll impact the game, but it'll certainly be interesting. Yeah, I mean, they've already come back down and basically like the you know certain pitchers that are doing like the baby cradling standpoint, you know, the Kevin Gossman double tap was another one that people have been asking questions about lately. Um, even the standpoint of, you know, you know, Nestor Cortez in terms of some of the movements he's made uh, with the Yankees have come under scrutiny, not just under balking, um, but also as it relates to the pitch clock. Any single time you start a movement now going forward, the newly introduced pitch clock will start on that basis. So if Nestor Cortez takes, you know, three seconds to jiggle himself before he throws the pitch – um, you know, phrasing, are we not doing phrasing anymore? No, I think that's inappropriate for a Yankees player, former Orioles player, but Yankees player at the, at the same time. Um, but yeah, it, it, it'll be interesting to see how, how big of a deal that is. The pitch clock, I think is going to be the biggest change mm-hmm. to the game that we see in 2023. And I know that a lot of these guys dealt with it at the minors. I I'm hoping that the introduction of the pitch clock will be the type of deal where it's a big conversation piece when the original change happens and a season later, we've completely forgotten about it. Right. But I do think that it can be, uh, you know, a lot of whiplash for, you know, especially us older fans um, that look at something like the pitch clock and say, Oh, that's, you know, that's not baseball. Yeah. I, I, I tend to agree with you and we've been to plenty of minor league baseball games and it kind of seamlessly blends into the background. So it's not like obvious is the best way to put it. So, I am I'm skeptical that anyone's really going to notice, like you said, we'll call it, you know, three to four months down the road. You know, maybe in April it affects a few pit players, um, but I'm 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 skeptical that it's going to be really a heavy notice standpoint. And I think it's I think it's a change for the better personally on my end. I, I don't I don't have a strong I, I know that sounds odd. I don't have a strong opinion. The thing I'm most 
concern is a strong word. The, the thing I'm most curious about is how is it going to feel in September and October, right? Because in a Tuesday afternoon game in May, that's not going to matter. But in October, you know, in game three of some series, when people get on base, that's the time that usually the game would slow down a little bit. Yeah. And if that's not an option, the game is going to be different. It, it is. Yeah, you know, for better or for worse. Yeah. It'll just be different. No, you're right. It'll be definitely a situation where, you know, pitchers are not going to be able to kind of sit there for 30 or 40 seconds, regroup, and in essence, you know, get their arm strength back to throw at, you know, max velocity. Um, it'll be very similar to call it 1970s and 1980s baseball again, where it's just going to be continuous pitching, continuous pitching, continuous pitching. So I, I think it's a good move. And like I said, I think, you know, I don't think, I think a lot of people are going to be poo-pooing it and being like, well, it's not like that big of a deal and it's shaving off, you know, seven or eight minutes and what's the big deal. But overall, I think it comes back to the matter of, you know, as it relates to, you know, constant action is what Major League Baseball is kind of looking for. I think it makes a ton of sense. I don't think they're looking for constant action. I think they're trying to keep games under three hours. I, I, I really think, I, I think you're right that I do think it's part of that aspect, but I also think, you know, like you said, the three hour games watching. A- oh, I'm going to stop you there. Hang on. This opinion is brought to you by FanDuel. <laughs> game of- yeah. Few, fewer commercials will keep the game under three hours. That's true. That is actually a great point of your, you're absolutely right. There is those long delays, especially during national broadcast games. Um, to basically have that occurring as well. But yes, we need to be told where to bet in Maryland um, on a uh, on a minute-by-minute basis, is the best way to put it. All right, these are the ones that I'm riled up about, Scotty. This is me shaking my fist and yelling at clouds. A couple of rule changes that came through the other day. I am furious that they are further limiting, restricting, mm-hmm. Position player pitching. Yeah. I am team position player pitching. I think it's great. I think it's great not only from an entertainment value. I think it's also great because it helps manage bullpens. It helps manage arms. This one's out, completely out of reach. Let's make sure that we don't hose ourselves for the next week. I agree. I don't understand the standpoint. It's not like the Players Association was asking for it. I just... It makes no sense to me, honestly. I don't understand why Major League Baseball is is stepping in and doing this. I think position player pitching is fun. And even if you don't think it's fun, it just doesn't need... This is a a solution in need of a problem, as far as I'm concerned. And I I know that, you know, some people have said, oh, it's it's happened too much in the last couple of years. Well, you know, these things are cyclical. I mean, on that basis, too, we wouldn't have gotten to see things like last year Al Pujols coming in and pitching for the Cardinals and, you know, making some moments on that basis. So I, I just think it is becoming so restrictive that it's just like you're killing a little bit of the fun aspect of baseball. Um, and, yeah, I just don't get it. It just doesn't make any sense. Um, I understand, you know, maybe you're doing it to basically try to preserve arms and stuff like that, position player arms, but any position player that's volunteering to do it, is more than happy to go out there and do it. Is supposed to describe it. Um, so I, yeah, I, I hate this rule as well uh, in terms of position I, player. I want to see guys pitch at the major league level who haven't pitched since 11 years. Yep. That's, I mean, that's what I want to see. Um, and it, as far as a rule change or a change that's being made that I don't care about, uh, the new bases. The new bases are are like three inches bigger. But Jake, they're huge. They're huge. Just don't, don't care. I don't. I don't care. It it might increase the number of stolen bases, you know, for bang bang plays. I, I don't think I don't think so. I don't really care. I don't care. Yeah, I, I understand everyone says this that the bigger bases are going to lead to, to more stolen bases. But again, let's think about going first to second. You know, every single time, you know, someone's going first to second, more than likely the shortstop or the second baseman is dropping that leg down in front and you're going to have to slide around. So yeah, maybe it helps a little bit, but in reality I don't think it's going to be a significant like major uptick in stolen bases. We might see a, a slight increase, but nothing major. The only thing that I, I can think about is that it'll be tougher for really angry managers to pick up a base and throw it. <laughs> and uh, we will be robbed of, of a lot of entertainment value. That is true. The bases are definitely larger than Earl Weaver was at this point of his, of his life. So um, I, I, I was thinking specifically Lupinella, but yes, right. yes, you're right. Yeah. All right. We, I, we're going to come to it. Uh, the extra inning rule was made permanent. They have 
eliminated actual baseball and extra innings, and we're going to have Little League BS instead. I, I, can I, I'm going to say something strongly opinionated. What? I would rather them have introduced ties in baseball than to go with the ghost runner on second. There would definitely there would definitely be more strategy with ties in baseball than they would be for ghost runners. And that's what people keep saying. They're like, oh, if you put a runner at second base, you know, it introduces a level of strategy. And it's just like, no, it doesn't. Like, I hate that you as a pitcher can give up the winning run without making a mistake. Correct. With the ghost runner on second. Yeah, absolutely. It's also, it's not the same game. Correct. You know, like Buck Showalter always said that there, there are four seasons, right? It was like spring training, the regular season, there was September baseball, and then there's Oct- and then there's the playoffs. This literally makes two games. Yeah. Like, if we're going to do, why not eliminate the curveball, right? Nope, sorry, only fastballs after nine innings because we got to go to bed, everybody. Yeah. If this is about player safety, if this is about whatever, garbage. Yeah. It's garbage. They're not playing baseball. I, again, I would rather just have them tie and come back and play another baseball. Let me ask you this question for Ghost Runners. Uh, if they would have said, we're going to do the ghost runners, but we're going to move them back to first base as opposed to second base, would you have been more okay with it? No. Okay. No. So you are, strictly speaking, anti-ghost is what I'm hearing. Yeah, absolutely. Okay. Absolutely. All right. So, you know, people being able to invisibly take a bag um, is against your moral high ground. Absolutely. So I, I, I tend to agree. And like I said, I think it's one of these aspects where – you know, it I it, it just doesn't make sense. And again, it also takes away, you know, the really fun aspect of, you know, insane baseball. And I when I talk about insane baseball, I think back to, you know, you know, the Mother's Day game with Chris Davis pitching, again, position player pitching, um, which would not be allowed. Uh, can't have that. Can't have that. Um, Why have memorable games that we think about 10 years yeah. later? Can't do that. I think back to obviously the Orioles and the Mariners game where you stayed up until five o'clock in the morning. Um, and were a shell of yourself for the next few days afterwards after staying up that late? Uh, you mean that one time in the last 20 years that that happened? That once? Yeah, we got to avoid that one time. Right. So, again, I think it's such a, a bonkers basis. And, you know, I think it's the standpoint of, like, Major League Baseball basically saying, like, well, we want the games to come to an end because it doesn't satisfy the needs of the majority of our audience. But in reality, it doesn't matter, like, the longer you play the game, the more commercials you had. And it's not like regional sports network, you know, cable subscriptions are going to change overnight. So it makes no sense. The better rule here would have been, we're going to go back to extra innings as a normalcy. Um, and as a cadence on that aspect, if you go to extra innings, you were allowed to bring up one additional person from your 40 man roster for the next game in order to help you better serve your bullpen. Just like we've got additional players that come up for double headers. Love it. Same thing of like, hey, we bring an extra player for double headers. If you go to extra innings, you get to bring in another up another player on that basis yeah. as well. Yeah. Hey, once you reach the twelfth inning, taxi squad is uh, you know automatically correct. Yeah. It's like no, I love it's that. like multi ball basically in pinball. It's like everyone gets additional players for the next few games. Is the best way to put it. God, I hate ghost runners. And and just li- listener, I'm sorry. You're gonna hear me about this on Twitter every time it happens. Every time. Yeah. So um, welcome to the soapbox at Bird's Eye View. Um, <laughs> we're glad to be back. Um, but yeah, like I said, definitely some changes going to occur in 2023. Um, but still, on a whole, very much looking forward to watching Orioles baseball, very much looking forward to watching Major League Baseball um, and, and seeing what transpires um, you know, in the upcoming season. Uh, with that... Why don't we go ahead and uh, blow the save? Um, And Jake, I'll let you take it away. It's got to have to level with you. Um, it's been a rough couple of months here at the English House since the holidays. And, um, well, I gotta be honest, uh, my marriage is a little bit on the rocks. What? 
there is a little bit of trouble in paradise here in the English household. Um, I, I don't know how to tell this story. It's embarrassing. Um, we went to we went to Christmas with my dad's family and had a lovely meal. Uh, spent some time together. It was a good time. And then, uh, you know, as gifts were exchanged, my littlest brother, uh, my littlest brother, of course, who's 6'4", um, gifted me as a gag gift a sweatshirt with the Washington Nationals logo. I've heard about that. I've heard about this sweatshirt. At some point during the evening, Sarah threw it on and said, oh, wow, this is super comfortable. Sarah, the love of my life, the mother of my children, the person in this world who I can count on above all others to be in my corner. When the world is crazy, I have Sarah. Or so I thought, because ah, how funny it is that she crossed that line and threw on the Walgreens sweatshirt that one time, that one night. But no, no, it's not that one night. It's not that one time. That comfy sweatshirt, as long as a receipt is, as soft as a as a dream, apparently, haunts me. Haunts me worse than Ghost Runners. My wife has been wearing that sweatshirt far more than is appreciated. And and Scotty, I, I gotta tell you, she knows how I feel about it. She knows the things in this world that I value and the things that I don't, but does she care? No. No. I'm warning you. Right now, something unfortunate is gonna happen to that sweatshirt. That's going to end up in a goodwill run. Or, as my son suggested, a backyard bonfire. The sweatshirt may go, but the memories will not. When a person has been crossed, they do not forget. And so, I, I hate to say, Scott, it, things, are, things are rough here in the English household. So let me ask you a question. Do you get 45% of the revenue and contributions of when she wears that sweatshirt? I do not. I do not. It's uh, one of us is getting the cold shoulder, and it's it's not the one wearing the sweatshirt. Well, I mean, this is not the first time that you have made friends and are close acquaintances uh, with individuals that are Nationals fans. So, you know, if Josh Finver, you're listening out there, um, if you're looking for a girl in your life, Jake may be offering one up in the near future is what I'm hearing. And that that is our show. Remember, you can find this in our entire catalog of indispensable episodes at birdseyeviewbaltimore.com. Bird's Eye View is available for download wherever it is you get your podcast. Certainly, Sarah English is not going to go and download this podcast. So subscribe to the show on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, Google Podcasts, Spotify, and many others. Please remember to rate and review the show. We appreciate the feedback. And hey, if you're listening to podcasts on some other platform that we uh, are not on, let us know. Um, and, and Jake will tell you how to let us know what platform we should be putting it on to. Come and get social with us. You can email us at contact at You can find us all over the social media. We're on Instagram. We're on Facebook. We're on Snapchat. We're on the ticks and the talks. But the best way to get a hold of us, at least for now. Oh, we're on Mastodon at birdseyeviewbal. Uh, but the best place to get a hold of us is on Twitter, where we tweet at bird's eye view b-a-l as long as the twitter overlord says it's okay and with that baltimore and beyond i will bid you all a fond adieu adieu good night baltimore be safe out there let's go o's did you really try to marry off my wife in this episode to josh fender absolutely good choice it is still here? It's over. Go home. Go.